another episode of Infectious Dialogue. My name is Gurinder. And I'm Naman. On today's episode, we have a really exciting conversation about corruption in medicine, brought to you by an amazing guest in Dr. Jillian Kohler, who's a professor at the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the Dalla School of Public Health and the Monk School of Global Affairs. She also doubles as the director for the WHO Collaborative Center for Governance, Transparency and Accountability in the pharmaceutical sector. She has several research interests, but I'll let her get to that. Thanks for that intro, Corinder. This is a really interesting topic about corruption in kind of the field that we're in right now. Before like we get into that, do you just want to give us, our listeners, a bit of a life update of where we are in the world right now? That is a great question. Well, anytime me and Numen appear on this podcast together on the introduction, it's always been virtually and at a distance. But since the beginning of COVID, this is the first time we've been able to do an introduction together in person. That's right. We are within six feet of each other, everybody. I know, not breaking any rules. We're driving in the car. You might hear a bit of the ambiance sound. It's a fitting thing coming together as the pandemic is trying to be in the rear view mirror. We're also trying to move on with our lives and try to get back to some semblance of normalcy. But that doesn't change the fact that the world is very much a different place. And that's where this episode comes in. Today is July 16th as of the date that we're recording the introduction, and Ontario has just entered level three as of today. But as Numan said, the reality is that COVID is not in the rearview mirror for everyone around the world. And that kind of connects to what our topic is gonna be all about today. It's corruption in medicine, and specifically in the pharmaceutical industry. Part of the discussion today is gonna be in the context of COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccination campaigns, and how that access to vaccinations may be shaped by corruption and shaped by politics. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Not just a focus of a conversation on COVID-19, but on a micro and macro level scale of what corruption looks like in everyone's day-to-day lives. I found this is a really interesting topic and I think Monica does a good job kind of highlighting the tough questions with Dr. Kohler. So without further ado, we should take it to Monica and Dr. Kohler in the virtual studio. Hello and welcome to the ID podcast. Today we have Dr. Jillian Kohler with us to talk about corruption in healthcare. Dr. Kohler is a professor at the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy, the Dalla Lana School of Public Health, and the Monk School of Global Affairs. She's also the director of the WHO Collaborating Center for Governance, Transparency, and Accountability in the pharmaceutical sector. We are so honored and excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So to start off the conversation about corruption in healthcare, it's probably good to first address what corruption is. Right. That's the million dollar question and something that I often have to spend quite a bit of time on it because believe it or not, there can be many different definitions of corruption, but essentially what corruption is, is the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. And what I'm doing there with that definition is I'm essentially paraphrasing the definition that Transparency International provides and Transparency International is probably one of the foremost most international non-governmental organizations working in the corruption area. Awesome. And so now that we have a definition for corruption, let's go a little bit further and talk about what corruption in healthcare is and how that looks like. For sure. I mean, it can look like many, many things. So what's happened prior to COVID, I can talk about, and then I can speak a little bit perhaps later on about what corruption in the health system means in face of a pandemic that we're experiencing today. But essentially, the health sector has many different areas where there are risks of corruption. 
And why is that? Well, one, there's a lot of different stakeholders engaged in the health sector. It's a huge industry, tons of resources, human, financial, and products. Of course, medical products are, are part of the healthcare system, to say the least. And because it's technically complex, there's often opportunities for corruption as well. So corruption can be at different levels within the health system. It's not like there's one size corruption fits all. So there could be corruption at the level of the government regulator, where it's state capture, where certain industries are influencing or in fact bribing governments to put forward certain policies or regulations that favor them or to ignore certain regulations or policies that would hinder them. Or it could be at the individual petty level where there's a patient going into a public health facility and this patient wants to get medicines that are supposed to be uh, free of charge for the public health care system of a particular country. But in fact, what the provider does is say, if you want these, you have to pay an extra whatever it is, $3, let's say. And that, in fact, is what could be called petty corruption. Okay, so it seems like there's kind of this massive range that corruption spans over, and especially in an industry so broad as healthcare with multiple stakeholders, I imagine it'd be pretty hard to monitor and regulate this. It is, yeah. Regulation is critical to the health system, and regulation is beneficial, but also it's a threat. So why is that? Because it's where the private sector and you know the public sector intersect. So if there's any gaps in terms of the governance structure, if there isn't accountability mechanisms in place, there isn't transparency, there's the risk of corruption. The other major point is that regulatory regimes globally tend to be pretty weak. So it's not an area where you see a lot of human resources in many countries. Oftentimes, there are significant significantly underfunded. So even if there's really sufficient, I wouldn't say adequate, but let's just say sufficient laws and policies in place, oftentimes they're not implemented because the regulatory system is just not able to do so. Mm -hmm. And then I would imagine at the same time, while these systems are in place to regulate, they also pose another entry point for corruption, which adds more complexity to the whole matter. It does. It does. And that's why it's really important to be aware of what those corruption risks are and to figure out if your system needs to make some changes in order to reduce the risk of corruption. And if I may, I just want to say the point that although there's a lot of international organizations like the Global Fund that advocates for a zero tolerance policy of corruption, while from an aspirational point of view, I think that's, you know, that's terrific. I think the practical point is though, corruption will always be there. And what we need to do, particularly in places where the risks are higher is to identify ways that you can reduce the risk. So instead of being 98% chance that there's going to be corruption, you want to try and lower it to three or 4%, let's say. Right. And what are some of the ways that we can do that in the healthcare industry? Well, again, a lot of the ways that you can address corruption in the healthcare system is similar to what you can do in other sectors. So there's a lot of cross-learning that can go. One way that I always suggest, I mean, there's, as I talked about, accountability and transparency, really important. What does that mean? Lots of different ways to enforce that. Oftentimes, governments will say we're being transparent and they'll put on a website certain information. It may not be full information. It may not be easily analyzed. So you can't really have just transparency to be good enough against corruption. You need to have accountability. In other words, why are certain decisions made? Why are certain decisions not made? Who's making those decisions? What are the restrictions on those people who are making those decisions? The other point is the role of civil society is critical in terms of efforts to reduce corruption risks. 
getting civil society involved in terms of government budget meetings so that they can monitor it, having social accountability funds, which has been in place in certain countries, getting groups that are providing report cards to citizens so they can rank their public health facility and say, you know, are they getting access to what they ought to be getting access to or not and why? And, you know, sometimes it's, this isn't because of corruption. It could just be there's mismanagement, the healthcare system isn't functioning properly, there's shortages, what have you. But sometimes when you see things are breaking down, you need to dig a little bit deeper and try to understand what essentially are causing those breakdowns. And possibly, you know, again, if things line up and the evidence is there, there can be a suggestion that corruption might be at play here. Okay. And so I think when we think about corruption, the corruption on the individual level, the petty corruption is a bit easier for people to conceptualize how that affects them and how it affects the patients. If a doctor is charging more for one drug for one patient, then it should be. But at a larger level, how do those upscale acts of corruption really translate down to everyday life and individual people? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I can speak with one example. If you look at financial resources going into the health system. So let's say a government has X amount of money to allocate to the healthcare system, but individuals in a particular health ministry are siphoning off those funds. And instead of channeling them into the public healthcare system, they are diverting them into their own private accounts. What does that mean? Well, that means that maybe there will be health professionals who won't be paid, who might have to leave the public system. There might be a lack of equipment that are needed for hospitals to run efficiently, to do what they need to do for patients' health needs. There might be a lack of access to medicines because there's simply, there's not the funding to be there. So I think, you know, corruption is important to think about at all levels, because as you point out in your question, even if it's happening at the macro level, the impact of it can trickle down. What I should say also, I mean, there's some really significant cases of corruption where, you know, literally lives are being lost because either health products are being falsified, so they're not doing what they're doing, or they're actually, let's say, like cough syrup, which happened in Haiti and going back into the 1990s here, but where children actually died, it was tragic because the cough syrup was actually lethal. So this isn't just about not getting access to services. Sometimes it really can be a matter of life and death. Wow, definitely. I imagine it'd be really hard to see those effects until they've gotten to the point where they're that noticeable as the case you mentioned in Haiti. Like a lot of times it can be hard to see I mean, it isn't impossible. The challenge with corruption is oftentimes by nature, it's invisible. So how do you, you know, how do you get at that? And that's where it's really important, like going back to the other question is what can we do? Well, having hotlines, making sure that people are anonymous and whistleblower lines where people can report potential corruption incidents. So they're found out having more scrutiny of public funds, having more scrutiny of public services. So for example, there's the famous case that happened actually in Ontario um, a couple of years back where a woman who had been taking heart medication for many, many years received a pill that looked different. And this woman was wise enough to alert the company that manufactured the product. I forget which one, but it was one of the large pharma companies. And essentially what they found was that this particular pharmacy falsified medicines were being distributed. So again, the individual can have a lot of power in terms of combating corruption. It's just important to be aware of it and not just to sit back and say, that's the way things are. This is, you know, in Canada, it's not so much part of our culture. We do have corruption here, not to say we're perfect. We're not. We're pretty good though, compared to lots of countries. If you look at Transparency International's um, index. But at the same time, you know, we always have to be vigilant 
And we always have to be mindful that there are always going to be risks of corruption and we need to make sure that we have mechanisms in place that can hopefully catch it before it gets too serious. Yeah, that's good. It's reassuring to hear that the individual does have a role in this and it's not too nebulous and far up for there to be actionable items. I can give you a real current example if you'd like. In fact, I was just looking it up here. It was reported in the CBC on yeah January 25th of this year, 2021, uh-huh. where Rod and Ekaterina Baker were accused of flouting uh, COVID-19 rules. So basically they lied. They actually chartered a private plane oh, I from heard about this Vancouver. Story. Yes. And they went to a very small town in, I believe it was the Yukon, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. It was. And they posed as motel workers and then got their first dose of their vaccine, which is horrific. So they created fraud, basically. They were lying about who they were and where they lived. And then they had the audacity to ask some of the individuals there how to get back to the airport. And that's when people, ordinary people, took note and said, wait, this doesn't sound right. Something is amiss here. Mm -hmm. So they alerted authorities and they have been since obviously caught and nice and powerful sanctions will be applied to that action. So this is, again, just to say, this is not something that's just in theory and, you know, we're just kind of imagining this. It's very real. It happened two days ago, even here in Canada. Wow. Since we're already kind of talking about how corruption can affect us in today's day and age, Mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit more about corruption in the COVID-19 pandemic? Absolutely. So unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic is exposing corruption in ways that we've never really seen before. In fact, October of last year, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres actually came out with a statement on corruption and COVID. And noted that it's, you know, a terrific risk to actually making gains during this pandemic. And what he pointed out, which I think is a really important point to emphasize, is that unfortunately with the pandemic, not only are there corruption risks, there's kind of new opportunities for corruption. And why is that? Well, there's obviously fear. There's also desperation. There's also shortages of supply. I mean, we're listening right now, we're Canada right now this week, I believe, not receiving any vaccines due to shortage of supply. And the problem is when people have a high need, they're desperate for a particular health product and it's not easily available. That's when, if there's not proper checks and balances in place, you're going to see more likely opportunities for corruption. Mm-hmm. So we saw that in the early parts of the pandemic, there were lots of PPEs that were falsified and substandard. Right. There were drugs that were falsified when they were touted as being kind of cure-alls, although since disproven for COVID-19. So I think in very difficult crisis times, Also, the other point I should mention as well is that we have to act quickly. So sometimes normal procedures are bypassed. So again, that creates another opportunity for corruption risks to emerge. And we've seen that again and again. So I noticed when you first were talking about it, you used the word exposed corruption. So would you say the problem is twofold, that the pandemic has made us more aware of corruption that already exists, as well as opens up opportunities for new corruption? So you've kind of got that double prong. Yeah, Yeah, I would say it's amplified. I mean, that's it. I think, you know, from like just some of the work that I'm doing, what I'm saying is that the health system has always been at risk of corruption. We've got evidence. We know that. But 
when you have a crisis situation like we're living in right now, they're amplified. And again, there's new opportunities because we're dealing with, you know, the word that keeps coming up over and over again, unprecedented times. So in unprecedented times, new challenges are going to emerge and some forms of the corruption that we're seeing are coming up. It's troubling to say the least. Mm -hmm. So how do we balance bringing light to these issues, which are very real and should be known and talked about in order to solve them, while also balancing a distrust in the healthcare system, where there's already things like vaccine hesitancy kind of on the rise in our population, where we want the people to trust us, but at the same time, not be dishonest and call out what's not right? Yeah, good question. That's a hard one. I have to think about this a little bit, because that's a very good question. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you need to know what context you're working in and who you're working with. So obviously certain situations are going to be more at risk than others in terms of corruption risks. I think if you're living in a society that generally has had solid regulatory regimes in place, those are going to more or less hopefully protect the individual. There's also the difference between science and falsehood. So we have to remember that science is, you know, is something to be trusted in our day and age and to recognize where you're getting information from, what sources are you getting it from? And also, I mean, the most important point is to be mindful of corruption, but not to sit there and think it's all corruption. So I always say, and you might remember from my class that the go-to is to think it's not corruption. You know, corruption is the last resort. So you don't say, oh, this is corruption. Rather, you look at the situation, you analyze it, you see what the evidence is, you see if it's mismanagement, lack of information, what have you. And then if there is a lack of evidence that demonstrates otherwise, if you get some suggestion, there's some gaps, then you can look at it and say, there is a risk of corruption here. And sometimes the evidence flows from that and sometimes it doesn't. So I would say this isn't about not trusting healthcare professionals or doctors or access to health goods but it's being mindful of some of the risk. And that, that would be, for example, you shouldn't probably be turning to the internet and buying some kind of product that's a health product off of the website that hasn't been certified and is reputable. Maybe the corruption risk, at least in terms of Canada, would be higher there than, mm-hmm. than probably anywhere else within the health system. Yeah. Okay. I guess to put it in more medical terms, we, we think of corruption as low on our differential. Like we want to figure out what else could be happening to cause these problems before we jump right to corruption. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, sometimes you call a spade a spade, like sometimes you see corruption and there's evidence and it is corruption. So, you know, you call it like it is, but it's not to sit there and say, let's all have in our mindsets that this is, you know, this is the worst thing possible. Let's just go to what the evidence shows us and think it through carefully. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that increased transparency across the healthcare system would help tackle both of those problems of increasing the public's trust in it, as well as or reducing the risk of corruption. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, what I was suggesting earlier, and I'll just spell it out, is transparency is definitely helpful. It's not enough. It has to have accountability attached to it. So as long as there is transparency and there are mechanisms of accountability that go along with it, Mm -hmm. then I think we know we have to have, obviously, we have to have faith in a system. Yeah, and if people can see that there has been corruption, but we've been able to catch it and stop it and deal with it appropriately, that would also raise trust while tackling corruption. I agree. And I mean, I think just going back to the recent Canadian example that's made the news, you know, the past two days, mm-hmm. I think it's important what happens to these individuals because I I mean, in the corruption world, examples matter. And if there is a low level of punishment attached to an egregious act that we've just seen, at least in the news, 
then I think that can deter other, other acts like that. So I think, you know, let's just hope that it's not a slap on the wrist to these individuals. Let's hope that they get significant sanctions on them, whether that means prison time or a much higher fee than the $500, which will, yeah. be, you know, it's like coffee money for them. That's the other major point is you have to make sure that if corruption is identified and is definitely evident, then you need to have the appropriate sanctions to follow that act. Yeah. Definitely. Aside from these two individuals who have shown a very concrete example of how corruption can affect other Canadians' access to a vaccine, how would corruption on a global scale affect Canadians' access to vaccines? I know that a lot of us are anxious to get the shots in our arms, and this is a hot topic these days. It is. It is. I honestly have to say, when I think about the access to the vaccine issue right now, what's probably more at play is nationalism, protectionism Mm -hmm. than corruption, to be quite frank with you, in terms of the Canadian perspective. Maybe in other countries, it would be different. But from our point of view, I think what we need to worry about the most is what we're seeing, whether it's from the United States or whether it's from the European Union, kind of the shutting down of borders and this lack of kind of global mindedness, where it's about my nation first approach. Yeah. And on some level, it's understandable and other levels it's deeply deeply troubling particularly when you think about poor countries and getting their access ideally through COVAX which is the WHO and other initiative but I would think that in terms of vaccines and corruption for Canadians unless people are seeking out risky sources in order to get a vaccine I would say that's not going to be the issue. I think what's probably more concerning is how procurement contracts are read by government officials and trade and protectionist measures put in place by other countries. Okay. Corruption doesn't seem like it'll be the big player in vaccine access. No, it will. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't write that off. I'm thinking in Canadian terms, but I think globally, what we have to be worried about is jumping the line, favoritism, whereby certain individuals will get access to a vaccine over others because they'll buy themselves to the front of the line or political considerations will sway who gets access to a vaccine or not or full information about clinical development of a vaccine isn't given to a population like we've seen in Russia and China, where people are getting vaccinated. You know, I don't know if it's voluntary or not, it's just otherwise. So I think, yeah, corruption on a global scale from a Canadian perspective, I'm not as worried as I am on a global level. On a global level, I think it's deeply concerning. There can be theft. I mean, the big issue, I mean, particularly, I mean, even in the United States, there's been, but prior to the deployment, there were significant security measures that have had to be put in place in hospitals and along the routes in order to make sure that vaccines aren't diverted for for obvious reasons. These are precious commodities. So I think the risks are there. They're different depending on where you live and what type of health system and government you're dealing with. Okay. So aside from vaccine procurement, do you see any other aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic moving forward being affected by corruption? Well, again, if you look at the past, we've gotten medical supplies that have been falsified and substandard. We've seen misinformation out. I mean, that's not necessarily corruption, but it's scientific misinformation that's out there. There's going to be opportunity for hoarding of legitimate supplies. I mean, that always going to be the case. There can be, as I mentioned, favoritism. You know, again and again, there's going to be many, many opportunities. can be contracts given to companies that perhaps shouldn't be given to them, but are given to them for either payoffs or because of nepotism or for other political reasons to pursue a particular avenue, whether it's research and development or something else in light of some of the supply needs and product needs related to COVID. So I think there's, yeah, there's an array of areas where corruption can definitely come into play. 
Okay. And so to end it off, as medical students and future physicians, we're in a place where we might have an increased access to smell out corruption and call it for what it is. Do you have any advice to us going forward in the health profession? Ah, great way to end because I certainly do. One, stop seeing industry. Number one, make sure you keep yourself impartial. Even if you don't think you get influence, because we haven't really talked about the role of industry. I mean, industry is our savior right now in terms of the R&D that they're doing. So we're not discounting that. They do incredibly important work. But the reality is there's oftentimes some slippage in terms of industry's action, particularly with healthcare professionals like doctors. So you want to maintain your, your integrity. And that means sometimes saying no to whatever that type of interaction is in order to preserve your impartiality when it comes to prescribing or doing a certain type of therapeutic treatment, et cetera. So I think that's really, really important. And also just to be mindful of the provenance of the health products that you're using, you know, talk to people in your clinic or in your hospital who are involved in procurement and find out where are you getting this from? How well do you know these companies? How long have we been using them for? But I think there's really simple ways to keep you aware of kind of more of your environment than you might otherwise do if you're mindful of certain corruption risks. Okay, great. And for our non-medical listeners, do you have any advice for other people to see the corruption even at an individual level and, and what they can do about it? Yeah, demand information and accountability from your, whether it's your member of parliament or your member of provincial parliament or your counselor, find out what they're doing. And if the information isn't there, seek ways that you can get access to it. Be mindful of some of the issues. Make sure you read information that's credible. Look at your sources. Don't just go with what somebody posted on Instagram as a given. Think through critically what type of information is out there and make sure that you seek multiple credible sources before formulating your own opinion. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Any parting words before we end the podcast? Let's just hope for a better future and let's just hope that's sooner rather than later. We know we've been in this very difficult scenario for almost a year and it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. So just got to keep looking forward and hoping for a better future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Kohler. My pleasure. Thanks, Monica. Thank you so much to Monica for bringing us that engaging interview. I, for one, learned a lot. I agree. I think there's a lot to learn about Dr. Kohler's experience in the pharma company, how she has a vested interest in really calling out corruption at every turn. The kind of parting thoughts that Monica was talking about uh, and Dr. Kohler brought up was our role as medical students and future physicians coming into this industry, like how it works in terms of policing ourselves, our colleagues, our peers, especially in an era where everyone is being hyper-scrutinized and vaccine hesitancy is at the forefront. I don't know, what did you think of that part, Gruner? You know, for me personally, the way that I like to understand where my ethics lie in this situation is to apply to a different context. And one that's really relevant to the time period right now is this idea of policing and corruption in policing. Specifically, when there's police officers who are being accused of misconduct, accused of police brutality, especially against people of color, there's a lot of officers who refuse to call out this corruption and refuse to call out this bad behavior. And you no, know, you can't just call it bad behavior sometimes, sometimes it's more than that. And I personally lose trust in police officers who aren't able to call out their colleagues who are perpetrating this really negative policing on communities that they're supposed to be protecting and as a result losing the trust of those communities. What do you think, Damon? Yeah, like the analogy being that as members of the healthcare community, if we're not holding our peers and colleagues to the same standards, then 
the public's trust in healthcare, doctors, pharmacy will continue to dwindle and it's already in a, in a bad place. I think the analogy works on several fronts, but the one part I would challenge is I think that even amongst healthcare workers, what is corruption or calling people out too early or not really having done your own research and jumping off of small bits of information from Instagram, from TikTok and other pieces of social media, rather than truly finding and identifying bad apples, if we're gonna continue the analogy, I think then you run a bit of a dangerous turn because now you have infighting between the healthcare community and the corruption is still going on or may not be going on in a particular public debate. But regardless of what's happening, public trust continues to fall. So I'm not trying to equate the healthcare debate and the police brutality debate, which is really isn't a debate. Debate's a poor word to use. What I am trying to say is, the episode touched on this as well, is really emphasizing people doing their own research, trusting vetted information, because corruption can come in the form of misinformation, not just greed and money. So I think there's a lot of reflection to be done after this episode. I think the conversation is ongoing. And I think we'll continue to learn more and more in Canada, America, and around the world what uh, this pandemic has done to shed light on the healthcare community. And on the topic of shedding light, I think it's important that we shed light on a quick update on our friends Rod <laughs> and Katerina Baker. As you heard in our uh, podcast earlier, these two were up to no good and flew up to the Yukon at a time when the COVID vaccination was very hard to find and not accessible to most people outside of the healthcare community. Now, as we discussed in the podcast, the potential fine was going to be about $500, which might I just add, ludicrous. That's like a glorified speeding ticket. But we do have an update. Since they've pled guilty, they've been charged $2,300, but they've not been charged with any jail time. What do you think, Melvin? $2,300 for two vaccinations at the height of COVID? Worth it? Honestly, pretty good deal. I think they got a pretty good deal, but that's privilege and corruption for you at a micro scale as well. I think Dr. Kohler is right. And the crazy part is it's so time dependent. Right now, there's some people, we couldn't pay them $2,300 to take a vaccine because of all the misinformation and everything that's going on. So Rod and Katerina, you got away with it. You got the one jab. I don't even know where they got the second jab, but uh, anyway, just a little update for our listeners to end on a light note. I think we should probably wrap this one up. You think, Grinder? Yeah, I think we're, we're almost at our destination here. Road, tri- <laughs> road trip almost over. It's yeah. probably time we wrap this up. Thank you so much again for listening to another episode of Infectious Dialogue. And as always, a big thank you to our team who's been able to make this happen. First of all, thank you to Monica for doing this amazing interview and our guest as well, Dr. Kohler. This episode research director was Priscilla. The episode was directed by Monica. This episode was written by Francine, Angelica, Isabella, and Daniel. And our editor for this episode is Priscilla. And once again, a big thank you, as always, to Isabella for making the music for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to uh, another episode. This was Naman and Grinder, as well as a big shout-out to our other co-producer, Mike, signing off this episode of Infectious Dialogue, where we talk about the stories of medicine and the people behind them. Stay safe, everyone. Mm-hmm.